Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Um, I hope you did bring a Bible this morning. If you didn't, uh, we have Bibles at our back table um, that you can take, and and that's a gift to you. You can take that home with you. Some of you have your Bibles on your devices. We're going to get into this thing this morning, and we're going to value the words that are in this book this morning together. And so let's jump in. Uh, This is the morning after, this is a Sunday morning after Christmas. We're kind of in this weird space in between Christmas and the new year. And it's a weird space. And, I, and I, uh, one of my favorite songwriters released a song this year on her Christmas record, Sandra McCracken. Um, and she wrote this song called The In-Between. And I just loved how she put it. She captured this kind of weird feeling that we have between Christmas and the new year. Here's some of the lyrics. She says, unplug the lights, take down the tree. The less we have, the less we need. From Christmas night to New Year's Eve, We bless the space that's in between. I love those words. We don't necessarily know what to do with this space, this awkward space in between, but I love that she says, bless the space in between. And so let's do this, friends. Let's just take a deep breath together, like for real, and breathe out, and just admit that we're a little bit lost after Christmas, are we not? We don't know which way is up, after the frenzy of busyness, shopping, meal planning, family visits, Christmas services, and the like, it can be dizzying, right? This whole season. And this season, like any day, comes with good, and it comes with its bad. We've tasted the hope and joy and peace and love of Christ as we've celebrated together and we've reflected on his words We've done our best to love one another. We've exchanged gifts and we've, we've put our love out there the best we know how. And yet we've also experienced the brokenness of our sin, right? The frustration of the not yet eternal peace of Christ as illness may linger, as relationships are broken still. And as that temptation to chase after that nagging sin still seems to be getting the best of us. And kids, you're not off the hook. I bet you've already had a fight or uh, you've crossed a boundary line with that new Christmas present you've gotten this year. Am I right? Maybe a little fight. Parents, am I on the right track here? If you're anything like our house, we've already had to have some of those conversations. Um, On this day, though, this Sunday in between Christmas and the new year, there's this sort of beautiful tension. So on one hand, we we hold on to all those blessings, right? All of that wonderful, grace-filled stuff that we got to participate in during Christmas. All the the gifts and the joy and the embraces. And in this other hand, there just seems to be this sand that's already sifting through our hands. We're grabbing for it, but it just seems to be sifting through our hands, And this sand 
seems to be the presence and the meals that are losing their luster and their satisfaction already. And so in one hand, we hang on to sweetness, and in the other hand, we're already looking for something else to grab onto. We're already going, what's next? What's, what's next? Some of us hopeless romantics hang on and cling on to the warm fuzziness of Christmas. That's me. I love the warm fuzziness of Christmas. I love the music. I love the lights. Some of you moved on at 7 a.m. the very next day. You tore down your lights. You vacuumed the carpet. You said, we're done. We're pitching the tree. Christmas is done. Let's get on with the new year, right? And some of you barely survived this Christmas. You were ready to be done with Christmas before the lights were even strung up. And in this space in between Christmas and the new year, there's also this new year feeling welling up inside of us, like this strange energy, this buzz, this courage that starts to well up and say, it's a new year and we want to take it by the horns. We want to make it our year. I'll say this, friends, God knows all of this. He knows exactly where you are right now in this room. So let's come with the mess in one hand and let's come with his blessings in the other and let's trust him at his word for today because today too will have its good and its bad, but God has not left us alone here. He's promised to be with us in it. God Emmanuel, who we just celebrated in Christmas, is God with us. He hasn't gone anywhere yet. He's still with us. Christmas may be passing, but he's here. And he wants to warm our hearts continually, not just in the Christmas season. So he's looking for hearts who would trust and cling to him. So let's get into the word this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 19. We're going to be looking at one of my favorite psalms. And we're actually going to be unpacking verses 7 through 14. Um, I would encourage you in your own time and space, maybe this week, to read through verses 1 through 6 and set aside some time for personal worship. Just set aside some time to read through those scriptures as David unpacks the glory and splendor of God's creation because that sets the stage for where we're going this morning. That's a whole nother teaching altogether, but this morning I want to focus on verses 7 through 14. And we're going to sit in this tension that we've talked about. The bad news is we're all lost to some degree or another, but the good news is that we have an incredible, trustworthy roadmap in these scriptures. The best instruction manual ever written. So as we get ready to read from this psalm together, ask yourself these questions. Let them sink in. How can I know God's will for my life? How can I know God's will for my life? How do we know what God intends for this world that we live in? And where do we really go for instructions on how to live? When we look to a new year in God, whose plans, whose words, what instructions are we going to follow? Pray with me as we open his word. Father, thank you for this space between Christmas and New Year. Thank you that your spirit is with us 
And we ask that you would open our eyes to see your word as true, as the best instructions we could possibly follow. And Spirit of God, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see you afresh this morning in the pages of your word. Amen. So Psalm 19, verse 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. These are the words of the Lord. So I have another instruction manual here. Can anybody see what this is? Does anybody know what instruction manual this comes from? Ikea, Ikea, that's right. This is an Ikea instruction manual. Have you guys ever tried to put together Ikea furniture? Maybe you uh, tried to put it together by looking at the picture on the front page or on the box, or you remembered what it looked like on the showroom floor, and you took a stab at it, and partway into it, it was not going so well. I understand that. I've been there. If you try to put together Ikea furniture without the instruction manual, you look like this guy every time. And so I want to say to you, why would we try to build our lives on anything other than these perfect instructions, this instruction manual? Like this piece of Ikea furniture, we will look like that guy if we try to live our life without building on this foundation. And so this morning, I want to break this down like step-by-step instructions in an Ikea manual and just look at verses 7 through 9 together. I want to give you guys six aspects of God's Word that provide everything we need to live life to its fullest. If you're note-takers, we'll walk through these quickly. I'll give you these six steps up front, and then we'll just kind of walk through them. So God's Word revives the soul. God's word gives wisdom. God's word, it rejoices the heart. God's word enlightens the eyes. God's word gives us a clean fear. And God's word defines truth and righteousness. Let's dig in a little bit. So number one, God's word revives our soul Verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Another way to say this is that there's no better instruction or law than the Lord's. We live in a fallen world rampant with sin, pain, hurt, and loss. And the word of God, these words, are medicine 
to our souls. If you don't believe me, we'll go to the word. Proverbs 4, 20, 22 says this. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and they're healing to all their flesh. This proverb is fully engaged, right? It's saying, be attentive, open your ears. Let these words not escape your sight. Keep them in your heart. They're life and they're healing to your flesh. I want to ask you, what do we do if we have a headache? Or that we find that our body is sick with illness or disease? Where do we go? We trust that God gave us doctors who are wise and have studied and understand the right medication to give us, and they prescribe us medicines, and we take them to eradicate that pain or that illness, right? Well, God's law, his words, this book has the power to revive our sick and weary souls. But here's the catch. We have to swallow the pill, right? We have to take the medicine. Otherwise, it's just sitting there, and we don't get to receive the promises. So God's word revives our soul. Number two, God's word gives wisdom. Verse 7b says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What's the testimony of the Lord? Well, David is saying God's story in all of scripture, in all of these pages, this is God's testimony. And it's sure. When we're unsure about God or what to do in our lives, we can always find peace and instruction in his word. We can lean on the myriad of faith stories filled in these pages. And we can see God's power on full display in his creation from the pages of Genesis all the way to his new creation in the pages of Revelation. His word, his stories, his testimonies, they make us wise when we spend time with them. Now you might be thinking wisdom is only for those who are balding or have gray hair in their beards, right students? No, it's not true at all. The promise is that even the simple can be wise. Praise God, I am a simple man, but he can make me wise when I spend time in his scripture. Wisdom is available to everyone, regardless of age. And so most of us probably don't consider ourselves to be wise. That's kind of a funny thing to say out loud to somebody. Well, I'm wise. We don't like to admit that. But deep down, we all desire it, don't we? We desire to be wise. We want to give wise words and advice to our friends and our family and the people we interact with. It's awesome that God's showing us the key to wisdom here. It's in his word. The simple can be wise when they look to God's sure testimony. Number three, God's word rejoices the heart. Amen. Are you glad for that? God's word, it rejoices our hearts. Can we not all use a little rejoicing of the heart? 
I know I certainly can. You can use more of that. Verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. What on earth is a precept? Does anybody know? Precepts, simply put, are rules given to guide us. They're instructions, precepts. God's precepts or his rules, they rejoice the heart of the godly. I'll say that again. God's precepts or rules, they rejoice the heart of the godly. Did you catch that? Of the godly. They don't make sense to those who are ungodly. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now I wanna pause right here because this isn't judgment on anybody who may not know the Lord in this way this morning. This is an invitation for you to hear and know that you too can be godly when you accept the work of Christ and what he's done for you. And so don't tune your ears out at this point. You too, your heart too can be rejoiced in the pages of scripture. These precepts or these instructions, these rules, they're not meant to be felt as stern, heavy weight upon us. That's how we often think of rules, right? Restrictions and things that hold us back. It's not true of God's word. They're meant to be gracious hints and indications of what God desires man to do for his own good. God is desiring good for us and he's given us gracious instructions that will cause our hearts to rejoice. Moving on, number four. God's word enlightens our eyes. What does this mean? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That's what verse 8b says. As we hold fast to God's word, we begin to experience joy in our hearts, and our eyes are opened or enlightened. I believe that David is talking about a twofold concept here. Bear with me here. I believe that when we spend time in the pages of God's word, our eyes literally begin to open and be enlightened. Have you spent any time around somebody who is just immersed in God's word? Do their eyes not sparkle? Are they not just bright? Cheryl Lang's one of my favorite people that puts this on display. I talked to her, she's so passionate about the word of God, her eyes are just open and she's ready to go all the time. It's because she values these words, I know that. But I also think that David is tapping into something else here. I think he's talking about enlightenment of our inner man. And I wanna go to the Apostle Paul's language here because I think Apostle Paul is connected to the heart of David here and they're bouncing these things off each other here in the word. The apostle Paul, the one who was called Saul, who was persecuting the church, stoning Christians, putting them to death, his eyes were blinded. Do you remember that story on the road to Damascus? He was blinded 
physically. And then his eyes were later opened when Ananias brought a word of the Lord to him. And Paul began to radically follow Jesus. He was enlightened. And he says to the church in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 18, listen to this language. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now catch this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That's some powerful stuff there that Paul's praying and that David's pointing us to. How do we find enlightenment for our eyes and our inner man? We run to the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, who is the Holy Spirit. He's with us and he opens our eyes. He opens the eyes of our inner man as we open the pages of this book. Number five, God's word gives us a clean fear. It's kind of a weird way to put, talk about fear, is it? Is it not? The fear of the Lord is clean. What is a clean fear? Verse nine says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Well, in this day and age, we have more information at our fingertips than ever before. With the advance of the information and technology age, the wisdom of man is on full display for all to see and consume. And let's be honest here. The wisdom of man is driven by fear. And it's not what I would consider or call a clean fear. Look at our news reports. Look at our social media posts. They're filled with negativity, with hopeless declarations and empty promises that depend on man and not God. I believe this information age is one of the greatest sources of unclean fear that's contributing to the epidemic of anxiety and depression in our day. Now, David is talking about a very different kind of fear, He's talking about a clean fear, not one that leads to uncertainty, not one that depends on man. It's a different kind of fear. It's a holy fear. It's a reverent fear, one that produces reverent awe. It shakes us to our core because we see in the pages of his word and we see in creation his power that sustains all and that created all. The very breath that spoke the planets and the stars into existence, the very breath that gave man and women life is the very breath that inspired every word of this book. Ah, that creates fear, but a clean fear. Look what I have in my hands. Wow, right? So question, whose words are we placing more value on in our day-to-day? The creator's or man's? 
How much time are we spending scrolling through our Facebook and our Twitter feeds, our Instagram, sending that post, scrolling through our email, consuming Fox News or CNN or NPR, whichever the newscasts you watch? How much time are we actually doing that versus how much time are we actually spending turning the pages of Scripture and letting the words that endure forever wash over us? Friends, let's shed this unclean earthly fear and anxiety and allow God's word to create in us a clean fear in the everlasting ways of our creator and sustainer. Isaiah chapter 40, verses six through eight says it like this. All flesh is like grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. And surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Friends, we are fading like the flowers in the grass, but these words, these last forever. These are promises that last forever. Let's cling to them in holy and clean fear. Number six, I won't spend a whole lot of time on this one. It's a whole nother study in and of itself. But God's word defines truth and righteousness. Verse nine says, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. If you wanna get to know what's true and what's right. Here it is, 1,189 chapters laying God's truth and righteousness before us. And John 16, 13 tells us that we have a helper to discern this and to understand this. We have the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth, showing us these words are true. Proverbs 30, verse five says, Every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. Every word, every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says this about scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and for righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That sounds like good instructions that I wanna follow. There's nothing more true and right than these words. We have to get to know them. All right, we're gonna shift gears a little bit here. David takes a little bit of a turn in verses 10 through 14. He begins to look to what it looks like to desire these instructions and these words. And he begins to turn his words into prayer. And so we wanna look at this together. Verse 10 says this, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Much fine gold. It doesn't really mean a whole lot to us in this day and age. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't have gold bars in my closet. I don't carry around a whole lot of gold. Uh, We might have a little bit of gold jewelry on us, but I think we need a little bit of translation here for our time. We live in a time and place where we have incredible riches, closets full of clothes, heated and air-conditioned homes, cars that drive themselves, food prepared for us on all, of all kinds, on demand in minutes. We can stream any song, any movie, any place, any time of day. We have incredible riches. And I believe that's what David's pointing to here. Gold, even much fine gold. Let's be real. Does anyone ever, does anybody feel this way about their Bibles when they look at them? It's not a shaming moment, but do you look at your Bible and say, man, I really value this more than pure gold, than all the riches I have? Oh, I forget. I don't. It'd probably be fair to say that most of us don't feel that way. We probably enjoy our phones, our homes, our gaming systems, or maybe even that glorious Chick-fil-A number two sandwich. Why am I talking about Chick-fil-A? Because David's talking about honey. And I think we forget sometimes what this biblical language is pointing to. He's saying sweeter than honey, than the drippings of the honeycomb. Well, friends, honey to me is Chick-fil-A number two, spicy chicken sandwich with Chick-fil-A dipping sauce. When I think about honey, that's what I think about. And David's saying, we're to value and desire his word more than these things, right? Maybe the reason we can't relate to David's words here is because we don't spend nearly the same amount of time in his word as we do with the treasures and riches of this world. It's C.S. Lewis's description of us being half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us in these pages In the presence of God, our desire is gravely misdirected. There's sweetness and joy and fulfilled desire in these pages. And to love God means that we love his words. I can still remember one of the first discipleship conversations I had with Pastor Rob when I was in high school. I remember being overwhelmed standing in his office at the amount of books he had from floor to ceiling about God. So not only did he have this book open all the time, but he had books from floor to ceiling about this book. And I remember just thinking, how do you get to a place like this? I remember asking him, did you read all these books? And his humble answer, yes, I've read all these books. I remember him handling, handing me a copy of Pursuit of Holiness and thumbing through that and seeing layers of his notes and different color highlighters and things circled. And I, I remember asking him, Pastor Rob, how did you get to this place? Because I don't desire any of this. And I'll never forget him quoting Psalm 19, verse 10 to me and saying, Chris, I made it a prayer of mine when I was about your age that I would desire God's word over the riches of this earth, that God's word would be like honey in my mouth. And he said, I prayed that every day. 
and he's answered that prayer. How cool is that? What if we prayed like that? What if we prayed, God, make your words more desirable than fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. Maybe it's not Chick-fil-A number two, but maybe it's something else. Turn that into a prayer. Turn that into a prayer. All right, we're gonna bring it home here. Verses 11 through 14. How else does God's word instruct our lives? I'm gonna read these three verses together. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. I like to think of these scriptures describing God's word like a mirror for our hearts. So what do we do with a mirror, right? We stand in front of a mirror in the morning and we look at it and it projects our face back at us and we can figure out what's going on with our hair, if we got anything in our nose, if we got something in our teeth. We're able to see what we look like. I think these verses are describing a different kind of mirror, one that looks inward at our hearts. That's a much harder thing to look at, right? It's hard to, to, to see what's reflecting inside of us. I think that's what David's getting at here. He's left us with an incredible tool. We have words that warn us when our lives are veering off course. When our hearts are chasing after sinful desires, we have the word of God to show us when we're responding to circumstances in our lives that he did not intend for us to respond. I think of Galatians 5 and the fruits of the spirit. I think of Matthew 5 through 7, uh, chapters 5 through 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. These are instructions. These are reflections of how we ought to be living. These are words that we are to follow. We have his word that declares our forgiveness and restores our innocence through our belief in the work of Christ. Whoa, that's a big one. We have his word that declares our forgiveness and restores our innocence through our belief in the work of Christ. Let me just read a couple of these passages over you. You don't have to turn to them, but they're up on the screen in case you wanna jot them down for future reference. Psalm 103, 10 through 12. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Wow. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us up from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins. And it doesn't stop there. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Those are just four texts of a myriad that we'll talk about the forgiveness found in these words. One of my favorite prayers that David prays is in Psalm 139. He says, search my heart, O God, and show me if there's any grievous way. He's asking for the word of God to reveal sin that he can't see on his own. He's holding up the word of God and he's saying, shine and reveal in my heart the things that I can't even see. And there's a great promise in verse 11. There's a reward for us when we use God's word as a mirror for our hearts. Why? Because it leads us to the opportunity to change our course of action, to turn from our sin, right? We're reminded of our true identity in Christ and of the grace of his forgiveness. And in turn, we begin to follow his ways more and more and turn from our sin more and more. And this beautiful, grace-filled, slow progression that the Bible calls sanctification. And it's when we're in this rhythm, resting in our identity, we are sons and daughters of the living God created in his image. It's when we're receiving forgiveness. Christ has forgiven us. He's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And when we begin to turn from our sin and walk in his ways and his instruction, we begin to find deep satisfaction for our souls. Psalm 145, 16, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. Lastly, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the things that I say and what goes on inside of my heart, let them be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of our mouth flow from our hearts. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. You remember these words? He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, man speaks. If our hearts are wrapped up in sin and confusion, if our hearts are tangled up and wrapped around the desires of the flesh and of the earthly possessions that we have, then what comes out of our mouth is confusion. If what's in our hearts is confusion, what comes out of our mouth is confusion. But when we have meditated, what does meditate mean? It just means spending time chewing on inside, in your mind, in your heart, meditating on these words. When we spend time, something begins to bubble up out of our inner man and our hearts. And they look like words of life and encouragement, not words of confusion or destruction. We offer wise words. What a great verse to memorize this year. We'll put that one back up there. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. 
O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you be willing to commit that to memory? So as we close here, I want to ask you this. How are you going to use this instruction manual for your life? Can I challenge you before we enter a new year? Can I challenge you to dig into these pages? Not just to look at the cover or flip through the familiar passages that you know, but to really dig into it and get to know it. The word of God is the greatest instruction manual ever written. But in order to see what it builds, we have to read it. In order to see what it, how it transforms our lives, we have to spend time in it. We have to refer back to it when the steps ahead are unclear. He's truly given us everything we need to live a healthy, joyful, and meaningful life in the pages of Scripture. And so, friends, if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to hold it up. I want you to hold it right in front of you. I want you to put this in your hands. Maybe you have a device that you use to read the Bible. I would try to convince you to get another paper version. Something powerful about this. But hold this. And we say this. This is how we know God's revealed will for our lives. This is how we begin to understand God's love for the world. This is where we go for instruction on how to live. So one more time, I ask, as we look to this new year, whose plans, whose words, what instructions are you going to follow? Pray with me. Father, your words are amazing and true and right, and holy. And we confess that we don't fully understand them. There are places that are confusing and hard to read. Yet as we've reflected this morning on the life of David and his words, we cry out and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to make these words desirable to us, to make them sweeter than honey, to make them more valuable to us than gold. Father, would you open the eyes, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see your word is true? And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you to be true, who has not put their trust in Jesus, the saving grace of his work on the cross. Father, I pray that they would meet you personally this morning, that they would meet you as they spend time in your word this year, that you'd make yourself known to them. God, we love you and we're grateful for your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.